as we begin in Acts. The last chapter that we looked at, we were looking at how the momentum of the gospel proclamation was unstoppable. We see this um, in, even with the enemy's infiltration. We see that from um, the opposition of the religious leaders. This is the second time that they had, they had arrested them, put them in prison, and the next day they are out in the temple speaking all of the words of this life. God is unstoppable, and that's how the section ends with Gamaliel, the famous teacher in the Sanhedrin, telling the people that if this undertaking is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. And so that kind of concludes the section. Now we're going to take a look inside the church. And I think what we're going to see in chapter 6 is we're going to see a need arise and people appointed to service to meet that need. And so I'd like to focus on the topic of service within the church. Who serves in the church? Should it just be the elect few the ones wearing the priestly robes um, that stand up front. Are we all here to, for their sake? Um, does it center around them? Or as Deborah prayed, does it center around Christ? That we might all see Jesus and be conformed to his image together. The um, service is for everyone in the church, not just for a few. I think we're going to see two modes of service in this chapter. We're going to see serving and speaking, serving and speaking. Um, but I think we can see all of the, the needs of service within the church um, falling under those two categories of speaking or serving. Um, an example of this is in 1 Peter 4. Does somebody have 1 Peter 4? Did I pass that out? Um, well, why don't you flip with me there, 1 Peter 4. Before we get in the section... My outline for this section kind of comes from 1 Peter um, 4. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 through 11. This, this was the passage in my mind as I read Acts chapter 6. I'll give you a moment to get there. Okay, verse 10. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And for what reason? For what purpose? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And so Peter here does a simplified description of the gifts. Who, who has the gifts? Who receives um, a gift? Just that full-time pastor up front. What does it say? To each has received a gift. If you trust in Jesus, if he is your Savior, God has given you a gift. He has given you a gift from his Holy Spirit. At least one to benefit and to build up the body for the glory of of Jesus. Now, your gift or gifts may fall into one or two categories. It may be a gift of serving or a gift of speaking. The one who serves ought to serve as if he is serving with the strength that God supplies. And the one who speaks should speak as if he's speaking oracles of God. 
To me, that's a very powerful statement. I think it puts the weight of speaking or teaching, whether it be preaching and proclaiming, whether it be teaching or instructing. Um, this is how you and I are to serve. If you're a servant, if you're here and you're printing the bulletin, or if you're out and you're reaching out to uh, maybe a widow in the church that needs help with something, do it with the strength that God supplies. But know that God has given each of us a gift. Let me ask you, are you using yours? Are you using yours within the body? It's not to be a guilt trip, but actually you will find great joy in doing what God has given you to do. I think we find great joy in service. And when we stand before Jesus on that day, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. There is joy in fulfilling the task that God has given me to do. Because we have needs in the body, um, and the Lord has a task for each one of us. And so I'm setting that up. As we go into Acts, we're going to see examples of needs arise in the body, and people appointed for special service for specific tasks. And so God appoints, my main point is that God appoints servants and speakers to build up the body, in the power of the Spirit. All right, so uh, first, let's look at um, the section um, one through seven. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, excuse me. Um, I caught you. I got you. Um, <clears throat> a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Keith, I may need your help. I'm pronouncing those names as well. Uh, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. In Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So here we see that a need arises in the body, the church, in those days. Okay, what what is the need that you notice? What was the need in the beginning of the section? Huh? Yeah, okay. In a general sense, service. There's a service need within the church. See, the uh, disciples were increasing in number, and there was a complaint that arose. By who? Grecians. You're, does yours say Grecians? Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that better. Uh, mine says Hellenists. Um, and then I have a footnote in my Bible saying the Greek-speaking Jews. Now, there's not total certainty of this particular... Um, no, excuse me. Uh, these Greek-speaking Jews. You see, Jews didn't just live in Jerusalem at that time. They were dispersed uh, throughout the Roman Empire and learned other languages other than Hebrew. And so many learned Greek or grew up speaking 
Greek. One example of this might be Timothy, whose mother was a Jew, father was a Greek, you know. And so these Jews would came back into Jerusalem, maybe for the festival. And so there, a complaint arose in this group of Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, because, and it's against the Hebrews, okay? The Hebrews would be like the 12 apostles. Um, they were Hebrews. They, um, they spoke Aramaic. Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. You remember, everybody's selling their lands and they're giving money to the apostles, laying them at their feet. A couple people are falling dead because of their lying. But other than that, we're just distributing the money out to where it goes. So why was there this complaint? Perhaps it was a mistake. Perhaps there was a heavy burden on trying to distribute this money to all of these people. Remember, how many have entered into the church at this point? Thousands. Thousands have entered into the church. There's a lot of people. But there may be another reason why there's this neglect. One reason could be the language barrier. Um, I'm, not so, I'm not sure if that's exactly the case, but there's a couple of details that make it possible. Um, when you're speaking Aramaic and you've got the Greek speaking Jews or saying that some of their widows are being neglected, it could have been missed in the language. Um, that's possible, and you'll see what they their remedy actually kind of speaks to that. Yes. Their officer could be they didn't know what to do, they didn't know how to serve. Yeah, maybe it wasn't organized enough, and um, and also it may have been distracted at the beginning. Just remember Moses, right? Moses comes out of Exodus, and he decides he's going to be the counselor for two million people. That's a lot of recliners, so not that kind of a counselor, but anyway. Um, a lot of people and so the practical suggestion is to appoint service appoint people to serve you see the body of christ doesn't depend on one or two ministers that run the whole church it depends upon every part of the body god gives a gift to every person to serve in the body and we have need of every part of that body how would you like to go without your pinky toe for a day how many of you know what it's like to go without your pinky toe? I do. I broke it. You didn't know that you use it when you walk, but I was hobbling. Just even the, what you might think to be an insignificant part plays an essential role. Same with the body of Christ. And so, what is the solution? Service, uh, servants need to be appointed. Um, verse 2, and the twelve summoned the full number, and they said, it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables, as Jonathan pointed out. Now, the word serve in Greek is where we get our word deacon from, uh, dikaion. Um, it means to serve or to wait as a waiter at tables. All right, so that's the word in the Greek is to deacon Tables. That's where we get our English word deacon from. You may have heard the term deacon in our church. We have deacons that are appointed. Um, de- the word deacon just means a servant. And in the Bible, you see the word used in two ways. One, an official office within the church as a deacon uh, that serves the church. But the second way is just to be a servant within the church, not within office. So an example of that is when Paul is telling Timothy, if you put these things before the disciples, you would be a good deacon for the Lord. Okay, so there's that general sense. All of us are deacons in one sense of the word. 
But in the official appointing of office, there is the office of deacon, which is for some. And so they appoint. Why is this? So that the word of God may not be neglected. And we'll get to that when we talk about speaking and the need for speaking within the church. But let's see what they do. They, uh, so they pick out seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, to appoint to the task. Um, here what we see is not just anyone is appointed for this task. Yes, everyone has a gift. But for this special task, they appoint people who are qualified. And what were the qualifications that they needed? Honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Those who are serving in an office within the church need to be of good repute. They need to be of honest report. Um, The second, they need to be full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. And I think those two go together, don't you? Can we really have wisdom apart from his spirit? How do we be full of the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? What does someone look like who is full of the spirit? What would you say? How do you recognize these people? Well, there's many, I would say, that are full of the spirit. Um, Even in our church, I'd think. What are the characteristics of anyone that is full of spirit? Have love. Love. Yes. Love. Primarily love. I'd say love for Christ as well. Love for the Lord. They love the Lord. They love their neighbor. Faith. Yes. Full of faith. They trust in the Lord. They're confident in Him. And in fact, I think this is the means through which we're filled with the Spirit is through confidence. As Paul said to the Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Does he who supply the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Do you want to be full of the Spirit? Believe the Lord. Believe his word. Hear his word and believe it. And he will fill you. He will supply you with the Spirit. And he will give you wisdom. He will give you wisdom. The same means of wisdom is faith, right? If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God in faith, right? You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to go to seminary to be qualified to be a minister to the Lord. Um, but you do need his spirit. Anybody else? Another quality of a spirit-filled person. Is there the fruits of the spirit? Yes, the fruits of the spirit. What are those, Deborah? <laughs> yes, that's good. You got to put it to song. <laughs> it's the secret. <laughs> yeah. What are the qualities of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Notice the fruit of the Spirit is not speaking in tongues. Why do I say that? I've been to churches where, and I don't want to be overly critical, but they've asked me now, are we all filled with the Spirit? At a prayer meeting. They're not asking me if I'm filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good faith, just self-control. What they're asking me is, do I pray in tongues? Sometimes when people say spirit-filled, they're referring to you're filled with the gift of tongues or maybe, maybe the spiritual gifts generally speaking. And that is good. Um, but I think you can have a gift of the spirit but not be full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, an example might be the Corinthians. They were zealous for the gifts 
But they were proud and boastful. There was division within the body. And that's why Paul says, I can't refer to you as spiritual, but as fleshly, mere babes in Christ. And so I do make that distinction personally. I think spirit-filled is more about the character and the presence of the Holy Spirit. However, the gifts should be present as well. Absolutely. Let's be filled with the gifts as well. But the greater, the more excellent way is love. Yes, so these are some of the ways we recognize somebody filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when they, and, um, when they appointed them, they, appointed, they chose these seven men. One of them's name was Stephen. Now notice the characteristic of Stephen. He's full of what? It says full of faith. Full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I think there's a correlation there as well. When you are full of faith, the natural result will be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how that works. And I'd say conversely too. You be filled with the Spirit. You will be filled with faith. With confidence in the Lord. And trust in Him. Now these names. uh, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, 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 um, Timon, Parmenas. These are all Nicholas. They're Greek names. You notice that? Remember the problem? The Greek speaking Jews have people being neglected among them. And so they appoint seven men who seem to be Greek or to have Greek influence in their names. I wonder if that correlation's on purpose, that they wanted to appoint people who were equipped for the task to minister to that group. There's a lot of lessons I think we can learn from there when we talk about cross-cultural ministry. Um, If we were to have a... um, a Spanish-speaking ministry here, I would probably stick Jeremiah and Brenda in front of me (laughs) because their Spanish is better than mine. (laughs) Um, You want to appoint people that are equipped for the task. Uh, We were talking to two two friends of ours, Mike and Marina Shank, online last night. And when they asked their church, they wanted to do missions, but they didn't know where, and they went to their church. And the church said, why don't you look at South America? Um, you both already speak Spanish. You already are equipped in this way. Why don't you serve in this way? And so you may see that the equipment that God has already given you is for the task that he's prepared for you. And Lord, may you give grace upon every member here to understand the grace that has been given to them. Lord, that you would reveal by the Holy Spirit each gift and each one equipped by your spirit. And if they don't know, Lord, open it up. We ask that you would reveal that and make that clear in the name of Jesus. And so the last thing we see is once they are appointed, now, oh, I wanted to point this out. They are selected by the congregation, but they are commissioned by the apostles. You notice that? It says, choose, pick from among you seven men. You could call that some sort of congregational operation there. Uh, I know we have different models of church government that we talk about. Here, we see an example of the whole church selecting a few for the task. But not, it wasn't totally up to the people. The, they were commissioned or approved by the leaders, by the apostles. I think we can see both of those roles play out in church government. Um, sometimes we talk about congregation rule, and it's a vote, you know, and you got... You put forward a person, then every votes votes on it. You got more votes for and against. That sounds very American to me. I think the body is actually needs to be in more of an agreement. 
Um, but there is a place for each member having a part in the selection of their leaders. Yet they are approved by the apostles. And how we see that? Verse 6. They set them before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So the commissioning of these servants was through the laying on of hands. And they prayed over them. Now, the laying on of hands is a theme in the book of Acts. It's done for a number of reasons. One of them is to commission servants for a task. The laying on of hands is for commissioning of servants to a task. If you were to appoint a new pastor in a church, there should be a laying on of hands and a praying. You are committing them to the grace of God. You are approving them as a congregation, so you put your hands on them. There may be actually, too, an imparting of grace to them. Through the laying on of hands. Okay, that's another function of the laying on of hands. Could be to impart grace. Or to even impart a gift. That's why I like not just to pray for people. I'd like to put a hand on them. There's something about that that I think is throughout the scriptures. You see, even in Jesus' ministry, you study the theme of laying on of hands. There's a place for it. I think God wants us to be in contact with people. Which makes me wrestle when I see the COVID and the restrictions and you pray for the sick from a distance. No, it says, let the elders come and anoint them with oil, right? There's this contact that I think the Lord wants. An example of imparting grace through the laying out of hands is Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. Who's got 2 Timothy 1? Um, is that you, Chris? Oh, someone else? 2 Timothy 1, 6. Yeah, go ahead and read that real loud. Therefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Oh, Paul's telling Timothy, I want you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you. And how was it in you? Which By the laying on of my hands. Another place Paul reminds Timothy not to neglect the gift that he has. In 1 Timothy, I think, chapter 4, he said, When the elders prophesied over you, laying their hands... On you. So we see this context of the leaders of the church laying on of hands. Why? Timothy was probably being commissioned for service. For service as a pastor in Ephesus or elsewhere. And so the laying on of hands is significant and important. And another example of the laying on of hands in the book of Acts is healing. For healing. We see this with Ananias when Paul is blind. Ananias comes. He says, the Lord has sent me to that I might I think it says, I shouldn't, I shouldn't paraphrase this. Uh, what does he say? Ananias answered, Lord, oh, excuse me. Uh, so Ananias departed, entering the house and laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight, healing, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see other examples of um, the Holy Spirit filling people as the result of laying on of hands uh, in Samaria, which you will see in um, chapter 8, verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Spirit, for he had not fallen on them. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't fully understand this, that part. We'll get to it as we get through the book of Acts. I believe that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there may be a manifestation of power and the Holy Spirit coming upon people as a result of the laying on of hands. Anybody, if you want to have a question or a thought, feel free. I'm not 
This is, I'm a student as well of the word. So I'm still chewing on this. But we've got some time. I have a thought. Great. Didn't the priest back in the time of Moses lay their hands on the uh, sacrifice? Yeah. Part the sin of the people on before they sacrificed? Yes. That's a great picture too, is when they were making a sacrifice, they would lay their hands on the bowl or ram. And I think, I, I can't pull a specific verse right now, but I think it's, the trans, it's this idea of transferring. You are imputing your sin to that animal. The impute means to transfer. And there's this idea of imputing. Maybe it's just symbolic in that sense. Um, but in the same way, we see this imputing or transferal of grace, I think, in the New Testament. Um, your hands are needed. And the church is a hands-on organization. So um, realize this. Realize this. And so they laid their hands. And then it says, verse 7, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we see, as servants were appointed in the church, um, what also happened? There was a freedom to the apostles to continue to preach the word of God. And here we see, yes, John. I have a question. Uh, priest, uh, what's the difference between a priest and a preacher? Okay, yeah, great question. So the word priest that we use today is different from what we're reading here. Uh, the priests here were the priests, the Levitical priests involved with the temple and sacrifices. There were thousands. An example uh, would be Zechariah. You remember Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. It was his turn. It was his rotation to go into the temple. He was a priest. And uh, when they weren't in Jerusalem, they would oftentimes travel from city to city for their time to serve at the temple. So there were thousands of priests, and a lot of them could have been even poor. They weren't necessarily ruling priests in the Sanhedrin, um, but they could be poor men, average laymen that were Levites or um, part of the service in the temple. That's different. Today, when they use the word priest, uh, you see this maybe in the Catholic Church. They say the word priest. Anybody else know a denomination that uses that word priest? See, huh? Some Lutherans. Lutherans, maybe. Uh, they may have a priest. My issue, I like to stay with Bible definitions. Okay. The, the connotation that they mean today is the idea of you need this person to go before you to God. Right. They, that's what a priest does. He goes to God on behalf of the people. And Jesus fulfills that role for us in Christ. And so we don't have biblical priests today other than Jesus, our high priest, except for the Bible says every believer is a priest. We're taught, the Bible teaches that the priesthood is for all believers. All right? And a picture of this is in 1 Peter. Uh, this is great. This is awesome. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, okay, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. You and I have been appointed priests. Offering up spiritual sacrifices on the behalf 
And, and our sacrifices are different. Because there, we are accepted in Jesus. We are covered by his blood. And now, because of this mercy that you have received, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now, as you offer yourself in service to God, you are fulfilling the role of a priest. And now in the world, the people that are the representatives of God in the world are Christians. And each one of us is a priest. That's why you don't need to confess your sins to the priest at confession time. The Bible says confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. The Bible says that you are a temple and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You don't need to go to any priest but Christ. Yeah. So why would there be priests in Acts if God is Jesus the priest? Yeah, great question. Uh, the reason is because at that time, at that time, we still are transitioning from the Old Testament to the New. The Old Covenant Jews are still practicing uh, the priesthood. We're just seeing that transition happen. And uh, we'll look at the section. As we see this transition, there was some misunderstanding of what that meant. And Stephen gets caught in the middle of that. So there were still Old Testament sense priests at that time. Today, uh, we don't really have that. Why? Huh? There's no temple. There's no, there's no temple. There's not a temple. There may be other reasons like the, the, the spreading of Jews. But there's no temple now for the Jews. It makes it hard <laughs> to be a priest in the Jewish sense of the word. Great thoughts. Yeah. Um, what he just mentioned about the priest. Why, why does he mention priest? Well, here uh, in verse 7, where it talks about the priest, it's just showing you that many of them got saved. Right. That the Old Testament priest that finally dawned on them, hey, this guy was the... This is the lamb. the Messiah. <laughs> yeah. He meets all the qualifications. And then they believe. And so... It's just their old office was priests, but now they are becoming believers. Did that, you catch that, John? Yeah. So these Old Testament priests are coming to become Christians. They are believing in Christ. And notice that phrase of what it means to believe in Jesus is to be obedient to the faith. Just notice that phrase. It shows up elsewhere in the Bible. So pretty cool. Pretty cool. Any other thoughts before we move on here? Now the second mode of service is speaking. In the church. And I want to point out to you the priority that the apostles put on speaking or preaching the word. When the need arose, remember what they said in verse 2? It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Keep that in mind. Now, I, I can hear someone already, already saying, wait a minute. Who do you think you are, you know, bashing the ministry of what and what and, and serving this people and they're poor and they need help? What do you think you are to leave aside, to, to neglect these widows or whatever? Yeah, John. It's like you pointed out, can't be a Yes, there's different parts of the body. If you are appointed for a certain part, it's okay to play that part and to leave the work of something else to someone else. And the apostles knew what they were commissioned. Their primary commissioning was to preach the word of God. That was their commissioning. This was also Jesus' commissioning. Who's got Mark 1? Mark 1. Anybody have that? Mark 1, 37. I'll read it. 
Um, so in Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, we see that he, is, he engages in healing all these people, and he does it like all night long. Okay, so busy night. And then it says, rising early in the morning, while it was dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and he prayed. Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. Of course they're looking for him, right? We got sick Joe over here and people came from this town over. We're going to have a healing revival, right? And Jesus says, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. There was a greater priority in Jesus' ministry than simply healing. It was to preach the word of God. There's something greater than temporarily healing somebody's body. It is the healing of their soul, of being made right with God. And so Jesus recognized his priority was the primary ministry of preaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so because of that, sometimes Jesus passed people by. It seems that sometimes Jesus passed people by or didn't stay to heal everyone. They needed the word of God and there were towns who hadn't heard. And so Jesus went there also. All right, I think our culture is trying to de-emphasize proclaiming the word of God. Let me say that again. I think our culture is de-emphasizing the need to preach or speak or proclaim the word of God. We see this rise and focus primarily on serving the poor, the oppressed, and that's good. It is good to care for the poor and the oppressed. All right? Um, but to do so in neglecting the word of... Uh, but this ministry of preaching the word should not be neglected. Ministering to the poor should not overshadow the word of God. You may hear people say... People aren't really willing to hear what you have to say until their bellies filled. And that may be true. That may be true. But I see a de-emphasizing in preaching. I remember being in Honduras uh, for three months. And in Honduras, we were ministering to street kids that didn't have food to eat. Um, it was their own fault a lot of times. Not always, but they liked living the way they did. Um, they liked huffing paint uh, thinner day after day. Um, they liked living in shacks. And yet every day we went and we would minister to them on the street. We'd uh, provide them food. We would give them um, counsel, shelter, and sometimes we'd bring a kid back to the compound. And I remember just being, feeling like we really needed to be sharing the gospel, sharing the word. And uh, I remember the missionary that we were that was hosting us reached and grabbed candy and he gave it to the little Honduran boys behind the seats and he said, "I am preaching the gospel." And he was implying when he's giving them candy, he's preaching the gospel. If that's all he does, there's a chance that those boys that receive that candy will go to hell. Um, because while their body is ministered to, we neglected their soul. Um, you see an example where Jesus heals the 5,000 with bread, right? You remember what happened after that? They followed him. <laughs> of course, right? Uh, and Jesus said, you came to me because I gave you bread. Work for the food. Don't work for the food that perishes. But work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of God will give you. And they said, well, 
what, what is the work of God? And he said, the work of God is to believe in the one whom he sent. You see, Jesus did care for the needs of the body, but he was looking to his greater calling to address and to redeem the soul of man. And through this, you and I need the word of God. We need to be in the word of God. We need to be hearing the word of God. We need to be studying the word of God. And we need to be sharing the word of God in whatever context we are in. The prophets in the Old Testament said, uh, don't prophesy or don't preach. Thus they preached in the passage I was reading. For disgrace will not come upon us. They didn't want to hear the prophets of the Old Testament. And so they suffered the consequences by being taken into exile for their sins. If we give man bread, we'll feed him today. But if we give him the gospel, he will be satisfied forever. And so let us not let service or the need to serve in ministry distract us from the word of God. Let us not let service distract us from hearing from the Lord. Whether it be in church, whether it be at home, whether it be in your homes. Don't let service distract you from Christ and from what he wants to say. To you and to me. You remember the illustration of Martha and Mary. Martha is distracted with much service, is what it says. And I'm sure that word is probably the same word, deacon, or the same root of that word. And Jesus confronts Martha and says, Mary, who's sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching, has chosen the better thing, and it will not be taken from her. So we see that there is a primary need to proclaim the word of God in building up the church. And that's why in verse 7, you see it says, The word of God continue to increase. And the result? The number of the disciples multiplied greatly. And even the priests were becoming obedient. Because the word continued to be a priority. And it's speaking and it's teaching and it's study. When we have our Sunday schools, when we meet for gatherings, we should be centering around the word of God. We need to do these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. Whether you are serving or whether you are speaking, uh, we need to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about some of those descriptions. Stephen was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And now I want to read the last section um, As we serve, as you and I speak the word of God, we need to be ready for opposition. And so let me finish this section by reading about one example of a servant um, filled with power and the opposition that arose. Verse 8 in Acts 6. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Let me pause there for a moment. Who is Stephen again? He's a deacon. This waiter... Not only is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, but as they've commissioned for him service, now we see that he's full of grace and power. If you have a King James Bible, your version probably says full of faith and power. No problem. Both are true. We receive grace through faith. Okay? An example of that is Romans 5. Um, we, you have access into grace by faith, is what Romans 5 says. And so both can be true. So Stephen, full of grace and power, is doing great signs and wonders. I think this is the first example we see in the Bible of a non-apostle, or excuse me, first example in the book of Acts of a non-apostle doing signs and wonders. I don't know if you can think of another example in the, uh, earlier, but this is the one example I see so far 
of a non-apostle doing signs and wonders. Interesting. Interesting. Why? I think because he was full of grace and power. Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And notice, Stephen, it almost seems as if he's getting distracted from serving the widows because he's preaching. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm assuming he understood the primacy of the word of God as well. Verse 9. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, of those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Now these men who rose up... um, the freedmen were uh, the word libertine. If you've got a King James, it was probably Jews who had been taken in slavery um, by another country and then later set free who returned to um, Jerusalem and built their own synagogue or built a number of synagogues. But notice these these foreign groups. They're not they're probably Greeks. So opposition from Greeks. Of what's, and they disputed with Stephen, but the result, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So Stephen is speaking forth the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the result is they couldn't withstand the wisdom that he had or the spirit that he had. I see examples of this in the New Testament and even in Acts of disputing or controversing or reasoning with those who disagree. I used to think that Christians should never argue. Uh, Bible says the Lord's servant should not be quarrelsome, but kind and gentle, correcting his opponents with gentleness and respect. I think there is a place for correcting those who disagree with us with gentleness and respect. There will be, if you are sharing the word of God, if you are talking about Christ There will be opposition. There will be those who oppose the message. The Bible says in the last days there will be scoffers, mockers, who will mock about Christ. And they will mock about his coming and his second coming. We are to be ready for that opposition. And Christ himself promised his disciples that when they are delivered over, they need not worry about what they will say. But the Spirit will Speak through them and will give them words. And this is an example of what we see. Not only did they oppose Stephen, but they raised up false witnesses. It says they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. You can expect... False accusation. Jesus said, Blessed are you when others persecute you, revile you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. For so they did the prophets who were before you. If you are devoted to speaking forth the truth of the word of God, you can also expect the father of lies to oppose you. And the accusations we will deal with a little bit more next time when we look into Stephen's response before he will offer up his life as a sacrifice. 
to the glory of God. Let us own Jesus. Let us not only serve him in his strength and in his power, but let us speak of him with truth and boldness. Are you serving in the body of Christ? There is a need for you. You have a grace and you have a gift to be used, whether it be the strength of your hands or in the clarity of your words. The Lord has a use for you and you are essential. And let us be sensitive um, to what the Lord would appoint to us for the part that we might play in the body. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we trust you. We thank you for the grace that you give. And for whatever task you put before us, you give us the grace to accomplish it. You give us the power to do what you would have us do. We pray that we would be a people filled with Christ, filled with your Holy Spirit, and that you may strengthen and accomplish and establish the work of our hands. In the name of Jesus, amen.